0: I was thinking about today. You know those epic stories. You know those big stories. The stories that uh, one of my favourites uh, the Narnia Chronicles. Do, do you know the Narnia Chronicles? Yeah, it's just wonderful, isn't it? It's just I, I love C.S. Lewis, and uh, there's a special time in, uh, in in that in that story where the uh, three of the kids, Peter, Susan, and Lucy, are, are given some. Gifts for their journey. Do you remember what the gifts were? Peter got something. Sword, Sword, yes. Uh, Lucy got something. Potion Potion. Potion that brings life life and also a little dagger uh, because he was not politically correct. You know, little girls are now allowed to have swords and fight. (laughs) But back then they weren't. <laughs> really? And uh, but Susan, you remember what Susan had? Arrow, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love those uh, stories. Um, I was thinking of the, there was a, a cartoon show called Around the World in Eighty Days with uh, Phileas Fogg. Remember? And uh, every Phileas Fogg um, would tell Pompadour, which is another probably in, un- incorrect thing to do, um, have. a but let's not go there. Um, And uh, we'd tell him, uh, today I need... Well, what what, what would I need? I might need a a hairbrush, I might need a can opener, I'll need a rake. And so he would get it because and during the course of that uh, that session, uh, that story, um, of course, all these three things were were used in some way. And uh, I just sort of wonder whether Have you ever thought about if Jesus is going to send you on a mission, a great epic mission, what would you ask for him, from him, so that you complete your mission? Well, I think probably most people have got the idea that actually we have been sent on a mission and we actually have been given something rather special. Um, I'm going to uh, read from uh, John chapter 16, verses 5 to 7. Jesus says, But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me where are you going. Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly I tell you, it it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. The great gift that we're given to fulfill our mission, of course, is the, the Spirit of God, the, the Holy Spirit, the Advocate. And I, we don't blame the disciples, do we, who find it hard to believe Jesus' words here when he says, you're going to be better off without me. I mean, who here would truly believe Jesus when he says actually you are better off for me not being with you? That can't be right, can it? Like it just cannot be right. But we can't discredit it because this is Jesus speaking. So why is Jesus saying that he's going to be, they're going to be better off, and let's assume that it's talking to us as well, that we are better off because we don't have Jesus? Well, if you think of, what, of Jesus right now, he's at the right-hand side of the Father, he's the, uh, the, still the God-man, God. The, the, the surprising thing at the right-hand side of the, of the throne of God, there is a man, and his name is Jesus. And he has, has that resurrection body, which we spoke about in the last couple of weeks. And, but Jesus, in some ways, well, he's limited because he is still human. So for the disciples, if he was with Peter and his place, he wouldn't have been with Andrew at his place. And so the problem is somehow that there, there is still... Jesus is still human. We know he's at the right-hand side of the Father. He's at the resurrection body. And he has given us an advocate... Who can be with us all at one time, fully completely? We have the Spirit of God. Now, the advocate is—it's a, a—it's a word that means someone who comes alongside to help, and it's often if you go to a court, you want an advocate, don't you? You want to. You, there's a charge against you, so it's a solicitor or a lawyer. But I love the idea that it was used sometimes in in. Because the greeks loved loved their uh Olympics, um, the person who would run next to next to the the athlete you know who would set the pace, who would be the encourager that was often the the advocate. This is the word Jesus is using here, so if you imagine you're run, run, running a race and you've got somebody running alongside you saying you're doing really well, keep going you know." keep the pace up, you know, it's going to be a bit hard here, but just be aware. That's the sort of thing we're talking about. And I don't know about you, but I need that person, the advocate alongside me in life. And here we have this constant companion that Jesus has promised. But why is it not our common experience that we are aware of the Spirit of God in our life? I mean... I hope I'm not alone in saying that there are times when I don't actually sense or I'm not aware of the Spirit of God in my life. There are times when things get busy and when uh, things are out of control almost and tensions rise. Why is it not those times that the first thing I've become aware of is the Spirit of God? And I think it's because we have trouble trusting Sometimes we have trouble seeing outside of ourselves. I don't know if you've uh, read any A.W. Tozer. Now, it's an old writer who was way old even when I was a young boy, but this is what Tozer wrote. He says, One of the strange things about God is that he'll come in as far as we allow him. I've often said that a Christian is as full of the Holy Spirit as he wants to be. He can beg to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can talk about it. But until we are willing to empty ourselves, we will never have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God will fill us as much as we allow him to fill us. Just ponder those words, because it's rather I find it rather shocking, the thought. And... Uh, that somehow we, we only allow God in as much as we want, that, that the Spirit of God will only come in as much as we allow him to come into our lives. And so I am pond, I've am. i been pondering this myself in my own life. Am I making room for the Spirit of God in, in my life? Or am I filling it up with other things? And I bet... If we did a workshop here, you could guess probably the things I fill my life up with. But is it that I'm filling my life up with things that I actually am hopeful, that it's actually going to be satisfying? Or am I allowing myself to be open to the Spirit of God? who God doesn't hold back the Spirit of God on anyone who welcomes the Spirit in their life, surely. It would be like... um going up the Warragamba Dam and of pulling the plug or something. There's just an ocean. There's an ocean. And yet we go, to, or I go to Warragamba Dam with a little bucket. And yet the potential is there. I think there's five things that Jesus will lead us as we go through John chapter 16. And, and these are the things, uh, we'll see the work of the Spirit of God in our life um, and in the world's life. And and these five things we're going to look at as convicting the world, guidance, joy, relationship with God, and peace. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? But how often do I see my role as convicting the world? How often do I see my role as finding my own guidance, or finding my own joy, or finding my own relationship with God, or finding my own peace, rather than allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life? So I was thinking about the verse eight about the Holy Spirit's role, proving the world wrong. When He comes, this is the Holy Spirit, and it's important that we reflect. It's not when it comes. The Spirit of God is not an it; it's a person with a personality. When He comes, He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. And righteousness and judgment, three things. Sin, righteousness and judgment. So it's almost like Jesus says, verse 9, let me tell you about sin, about sin because people do not believe in him, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. It's really helpful to spend some time pondering these words um, because it doesn't spring out to me, is obvious what Jesus is talking about, but we need to recognise the Holy Spirit's job, uh, role is to prove the world wrong in in the area of sin. And if we think that uh, we, we need to mature from a, the the simple some masculine answer about what sin is doing something wrong, sin is when we is when we don't believe what God says about Jesus. Sin is more than just doing something wrong. It's when we don't acknowledge Jesus as Lord. So when God says, here is my son, he is the king of all things, you need to bow down to him, we say, and this is where I really wish I could say some really offensive words, but that's what we say to God. We say, I'm going to do it my own way, so you go run and jump, God. That's what we say to God. And that's the sin. Because when I say that to God, then I go and live my life the way I want to live my life. And then you see the actions of my heart. So sin starts here, and the actions of my heart is what you see when I hurt people, when I do things. And that's, what, that's, that's the sin of my heart. When God says, Jesus is the Lord, he is the boss... We have the privilege to say, yes, he is, and we know he is. We we have given up the idea that we want to move Jesus off the throne and put ourselves on the throne. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts and shows the world that, and it's not our role. So what's our role? It's not to make laws and legislate so that we get people morally correct because... That will do nothing to the heart. It might stop some of the actions down here. We'll let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. And what will we do? We will do the loving. eh? We will love and care for people who do stupid things and hurt themselves because of their sinful heart just in the same way that we do sinful things in our lives. We hurt and yet we want to show grace and love to one another. The second thing that the Spirit of God does is prove the world wrong about righteousness. Because righteousness is only found in Jesus. Um, the world no longer would see Jesus, Jesus said, so, so it assumes that Jesus is irrelevant. Isn't it? Jesus irrelevant? 2,000 years ago, sure, there was a story, but now, what has Jesus got to do with my life? And, and even actually on television, just last week, I saw a politician say, oh, the idea of repenting, I'm not going to repent from anything I've do because Jesus is obviously no longer relevant. The world will argue their own righteousness and we see that, in, if we don't see that in our latest society right now, we, we must be blind to it. But we're going to, But the Holy Spirit is going to prove the world wrong about judgment because the world's prince, Satan, has already been condemned, and we remembered that just a couple of weeks ago. At the cross, the, uh, the final destruct- the final victory was won. Well, one day we'll see the final, uh, uh, everything washed up and, and, and restored. But right now, we have two options. We either stand with Jesus, or we stand opposed to Jesus. We either go on Jesus' side, or we go against Jesus. We, we either live life, following Jesus, or we go and live life our own way. They're the two options that we have. But for us, we, as we ponder that, as we, we think about that, that gives us an, amount of, an enormous amount of freedom because we want to make sure that we don't try to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12 talks about guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now, but when he... The spirit of truth. It's lovely, isn't it? Um, But when he, who is he? The spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I say, said the Spirit will receive from me what he's made known to you. And so that's, that's wonderful. That's the benefit, isn't it? That uh, Jesus may not physically be with them, but the Spirit of God will speak through uh, through the Spirit of God, Jesus will speak and make known to them. I think we fall in some some traps here because I think... Our hardness of heart sometimes causes us to not want God's guidance. We don't want the guidance from the Holy Spirit. Because we've got our, we've got our guides, we've got the way that we are guide, guided in life, and they're often accountants, aren't they, and financial planners. Uh, we have the television. And I think that the world's closest thing to to the all-knowing, all-powerful God is the one that we use all the time. That's Google. Isn't it? Um, you need to know something, Google. How do I... You need you need, you need to know what's wrong with it, Google. I've got a pain here. How do I resolve this, Google? And, And it answers you instantly. Isn't it amazing how... Google can be our God. I think we don't like to trust the Spirit of God. Let me tell you why I don't think like trust the Spirit of God, because he might lead us places that we don't want to go. Um, as long as it's to comfort or to pleasure or to wealth, or yes, the Holy Spirit, you guide us there, but what if the Spirit of God wants to guide us to a place that we don't want to go? And I think we... I think we don't functionally believe in the Holy Spirit. We've got in our statement of faith, don't you worry about that. That's our statement of faith somewhere in the filing cabinet down the back there. So we can prove we're orthodox, but I think functionally sometimes we don't even believe in the Holy Spirit. But we can trust the Spirit because he speaks only what Jesus says. We can trust the Spirit because he will glorify Jesus Christ our Lord. We can trust the Spirit because the Father, Son and Spirit are one. <clears throat> Verse 22, Jesus talks about how the Spirit brings joy. Now, I know he's talking to the disciples there. He says, now, so with you, now the time, now is your time of grief because Jesus was going to be taken away from them. But again, I'll see, see you again and you'll rejoice and no one will take away your joy. So that last phrase where it says, no one will take away your joy is where I'm taking the idea that the joy that we can have in Jesus is not something that cannot be taken away. But let me ask you, what can take away your joy? If you think about it. For me, the most mundane things, kicking my toe, can make, take the joy of Jesus away for a whole day at times. Uh, when Wendy doesn't do what I wanted her to do, you know, that, that takes away my joy, and I can be annoyed at her for days. I won't go weeks. No, days. What about when the shop doesn't have my brand of yoghurt? I'm, I'm slightly annoyed with that, you know, because I do like a particular brand of yoghurt. When my soda stream runs out of gas and I have to go down, that just, that just robs me a bit of my joy. But it probably shows, doesn't it, the object of my joy. Um, The object of my joy is not Jesus. The object of my joy is me and my happiness. Jesus spoke of a time when no one will take away your joy. It was it was going to happen to them, but the object of their joy in the Spirit of God coming upon them meant that their joy, if their joy is Jesus Christ, nothing will rob them and we 've we 've been praying through the persecuted church where they 've had their they, they have their liberty taken away they they, they live in, in they live in an anxiety a fear of being found out, and yet they find a joy in Jesus because of the Holy Spirit in their life a joy that sometimes i think i 'm sure surpasses our joy who have it so freely available to um, the freedoms that we have so freely available. 23 talks about this direct access with the Father. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I'll tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use—I will no longer use that kind of language—but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father in on your behalf. No, the Father Himself loves you. And it's just worth—that's a seller, and it? it's at the moment. Let's just ponder that one. The Father Himself loves you, because you have loved Me and have believed that I've come from the, from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world. I'm going back to the Father. God brings peace, a peace that is not overcome by this world. Those stories I spoke about before, you know, when I was young. Um, I had it all figured out because you know those stories where the genie comes in the lamp and you got three wishes? I thought I was so clever. I figured out my first wish. What's your first wish? I want a million wishes, isn't it? I thought I was so clever. I was ready for the day. I was the genie just comes along, three wishes. I thought I found the loophole. I want a million wishes. I want two million. I want indefinite number of wishes. I want want the wishes to never end. In that way, I I don't have to actually work out what I want. I can have whatever I want. Um, We don't have to work out what we want. We can have whatever we want. And I think we're in that culture now that we actually don't have to work out what we want because we can have anything we want. Go to Kmart. What do you want? Go to reject shop. eBay. Like, it will be affordable. Anything that you... Whatever you want, it's there, and you can collect it, and you can get it without actually having to work out what you truly want. As in a difficult moment... Uh Um, In the last couple of months, I I came up to the prayer room uh, because I didn't know what else to do. Um, And I came across this, uh, it's in the prayer room, isn't it? Uh, Ask and it'll be given to you, Matthew 7, 7. And so I'm here, I'm struggling and trying to understand. and So I look at this, uh, ask and it'll be given to you. And to tell you the truth, I felt a bit sorry for God because I was going to prove him wrong here. Um, I thought my situation was just too hard, uh, too big an issue, and I didn't want to set God up for a failure, okay? Uh, I didn't want to make it too hard for God. But I kept coming, and this word ask kept jumping out at me, so despite my misgivings, I put God to the test, and the problem was I had to work out specifically what I was going to ask, because it seemed a bit unfair that if I was going to say, God, fix it, how am I know if I going to fix it, unless I knew what he wanted him to fix. And so I was walking up and down, uh, trying to work out, there's lots of red herrings here, there's lots of things that I want, but what did I truly want? You know, uh, I could have asked for whatever, but what... What is it truly that I wanted? And after a while, I got to the root of the problem and I came to the point and I asked God uh, for my specific need. I said, God, this is what I want. I'm not going to tell you what it is. This is what I want. And it was then that I realized that actually, He had given what I wanted months back. It's just I didn't realise it. I didn't recognise it. So, actually, here I was worried that God couldn't answer this prayer, only to find that He answered it months ago, but I just didn't realise because I didn't ask specifically. And the disciples, what did they want? They wanted the king of Israel to, they wanted that. the big sword king out there, and they wanted to be free from the Romans. They wanted an endless supply of bread and fish and wine, and and that'd be a wonderful party, wouldn't it? And to be to be important under Jesus' rule, and they wanted Jesus' presence with them all the time. And what do we want? We want to be happy and healthy and wealthy, to be successful, comfortable, carefree, popular, recognized, valued. I think you and I would prefer, well let me speak for myself. I think I'd prefer the genie in the lamp and ask give me a million and give me a million wishes so that I can ask anything that I want. I want to be ready with my clever my clever response. But I don't think wouldn't it be terrible if God gave me everything I whatever I wanted and not what I truly truly want. And sometimes we don't even know it. Psalm 37.4. There's a bit of a sting in the tail here. Take delight in the Lord, and he'll give you your heart's desire. That's, That's a psalm that we've probably all looked at at one stage or another. Take delight in the Lord, and he'll give you your heart's desire. So years back, I thought, well, so what this says is, if I, take, if I take delight in God, he'll give me that new job that I really want, you know? Or if I take delight in God, that this area of my life will be fixed up. But it's not exactly... It doesn't say that at all, does it? Take delight in God, the Lord, so take delight in him, and you'll have him fully... You'll have, your delight will know no end. If your your passion is God, if your passion and delight is in God, then you take delight in him and he'll give you your heart's desire. If that's what your heart's desire is, you will know no end to it. It will be an ocean of water, far greater than Warragamba Dam, There'll be an ocean of water that'll be yours if you take your delight in God. He will give you everything. He will fill your life. And yet, this human heart can take this and say, oh, well, if I do something for you on Sunday and come along, pray my prayers, give a bit of a tithe, that you will give me exactly whatever I want. We... uh, as a church, part of our vision is to be passionate disciples of Jesus. We want passion, um, and what that means is that we shape our lives and hearts. We've got discipleship groups. We've got prayer. We're going to be praying tonight. If you want to come, dinner and prayer tonight. We, our Sunday gatherings is a part of of who we are and being shaped. And if you if you're If your desire is outside of God, you're going to be terribly disappointed, okay? You'll be terribly disappointed. But if your desire is an intimate, close, passionate walk with the Father through the Spirit as he takes us in light of the cross of Jesus Christ, then I think your heart's desire will be fulfilled, Um, does anyone? How many days after Resurrection Sunday is Pentecost? I guess fifty. Yeah, because the, the the word Pentecost is actually related to the fifty. And so, so forty days after Jesus rose, was rose from the dead. He then we got this wonderful picture. He's on, on this mountain. He's taken to be with the Father. Forty days. The disciples were told to go and wait for ten days. Well, they didn't. Over ten days, go away. Go to Jerusalem and wait until the Spirit comes along with power. Let me let me encourage you. The uh, you'll hear more of this, but the great wait. There are many of us pastors and churches who are going to ask God over those ten days. We want to wait upon God to have the Holy Spirit come with let me rephrase that, because the Holy Spirit has come, we'd love to see the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in Penrith. It's the great weight. We're going to encourage prayer. We're going to encourage fasting. We're going to encourage dependence upon God. Ten days, the great weight, as we want to see The spirit of God's power in this in this city. I want to encourage you to uh, get prepared, 13th of May to the 23rd of May. There's those 10 days. Wouldn't it be terrible? Wouldn't it be terrible if the Holy Spirit came and it wasn't we weren't a part of that? I'm talking about fear of missing out. um, Wouldn't that be terrible? What if we, what if we did express our dependence upon God for ten days, and uh, we'd be so much better off, whatever happens. I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to have our musicians come. Uh, and Father, I want to pray. Yeah, you, you'll need to change our hearts, or change change my heart. You know, the areas that I just want to fill with whatever I want. But as I reflect upon the words of Jesus, and particularly this Psalm 37, Lord, I want my heart to want you. I want my heart to desire nothing more than you. I want to take... With appreciation and thanks, all that you give. And you give me so much. But Lord, I pray that, that none of those gifts that are given would ever get in the way of enjoying and desiring you. And so I want to pray for each one of us. I want to pray for those 10 days. Um, Lord, as, as your people come together and earnestly seek. Um, Lord, I pray that our hearts will be so open to the work of your spirit in our life, that there'll be no holding back. I pray in Jesus' name.